continuing our study in Galatians, and I, I'm thankful that John um, brought the message and, and did a great job in presenting that word to us last week. And, um, you know, we're going to continue um, this today and, and really trying to help us understand, you know, what is our, you know, what is the gospel and, and the reminder that we find here in the, just this title, which, by the way, comes from Galatians 5, verse 6, um, is that there is supposed to be an experience that we have. There's an experience that comes from true faith, and Galatians is all about that experience. But, of course, we're being told this through the situation that the Galatians found themselves in. By the way, all of you you know, have been listening and I think gaining, but you know, some of you don't know, we do have a family in the church named Galatia, so I think this was a letter written specifically to them 2,000 years ago, so, so uh, we, no, but don't take it personally because this actually starts out with, oh foolish Galatians. Um, you know, just a couple blocks from here, Years before I even knew where this church was, I mean, I knew that this church existed. I didn't know exactly where it was, but you know, I was just out of college, and my my wife and I, um, when we were dating, and eventually, after even after we got married, we used to come over here just a few blocks away to take to take voice lessons. Now you can probably tell who was the star pupil um, of the two of us, but we would take voice lessons. Uh, just a few blocks from here, and and the the teachers there they had been trained and um, and classically, and so the song almost everybody started with in voice lessons was this song, "Caro uh, Mio Ben." I would I would show off all my wonderful uh, you know two years of lessons for you, but I'm not going to. But I'm going to show you the words, "Caro um, Mio Ben." Credi mi amen, senza di te languisce il cor. It's beautiful. Sounds so nice. I sang this. I had no idea what I was saying. Uh, maybe my teacher kind of explained to me what this song was about. I don't know. I just knew that I was supposed to sing these sounds, and I was supposed to sing them a certain way, and hopefully follow the the melody, breathe correctly, all of that. Well, you know. This happens all the time. You find non-English speakers learning English songs and singing them, and they don't speak English, and they're just making the sounds. You might have done it yourself in singing in another, in another language. Well, this is actually what caro mio ben means in English. And those of you who maybe have a little Italian, you might know, but caro mio ben, I have the words, I believe, up there. They're coming soon to a theater near you. Keep going. Keep, there you go. So, caro mio ben, says, my darling dear, credi, credi mi amen, at least believe me, senza di te, without you, my heart languishes. And then the second part says this, your faithful admirer, io tuo fedel, sospironior, always sighs, Chessa crudel, stop, cruel one, tanto rigor from being so harsh. Had I known what I was saying, I might have sung it with more feeling, but I was just happy to be able to 
make the sounds. But you know, there's a lot of times that, that we're like that as Christians. We know the language that we're supposed to speak. We can say the words. We can even quote Bible verses. And there's a lot of Christians who, who you know, when I talk about the gospel of grace, they're like, amen, brother, that's right. If I talk about how faith comes through Jesus Christ, amen, brother, that's right. Um, when we talk about, you know, the, the new life we have in Christ, the Holy Spirit in our lives, all on board, can sing the song, knows, knows the sounds to make, but when it comes to how they live, they still live by the gospel of law. See, they want to believe in the gospel of grace. In fact, they're, they're, they're able to make the sounds, say the words. But ultimately, they live by the gospel of, of law. And you might be saying, is this me? Could this be me? I hope you're saying, could this be me? I hope you're not assuming, that's no way, that's me. My belief is, it's not many of you, but there's probably at least one. We've fallen in love with what Christianity sounds like, but we don't really know what it means to receive the gospel of grace and to live accordingly. You know, the title of this sermon today is By Works or By Faith. And this is the truth, that there, there cannot be both. It's a choice. You cannot say, I have a gospel of grace that comes through faith in Jesus Christ and still hold on to a gospel of works. As John helped us look at last week at the end of chapter 2, the gospel of the law, gospel of works, nullifies the gospel of grace doesn't really, as Paul's made clear, there really is only one gospel. But what he's saying is, in your life, if you're going to live by the gospel of law, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you say you believe or what you think is right. You're living by the gospel of the law. These two are incompatible. Paul is confronting the Galatians, and he's confronting them about their desire to abandon, abandon God's <clears throat> grace, abandon the gospel of grace, and embrace the gospel of law. And it doesn't make any sense to Paul, and he's going to keep building the case of why that doesn't make any sense to him. He's, as he says at the end of chapter 2, you know, if you believe this gospel of law, you know, it, it nullifies God's grace. Christ's death was for nothing. In fact, what was all that experience you had with the Spirit? Were you just faking? Were you just pretending? He's ultimately asking this question. Galatians, who are you in Christ today, right now? And how did you get here? 
I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. I think it's a question that should be asked of the church and of Christians every day throughout, throughout history and into the future. Who are we in Christ today? And how did we get here? Are we in Christ today because we are keeping his law perfectly? Are we in Christ today because of our works? If that's the case, Paul is going to ask the question, so what is this about grace? What is this about faith? And so, he starts chapter 3. And he had started out after his greeting, and he just kind of launches into his like attack like he doesn't he doesn't understand what's going on and then he takes a long break to kind of give his experience his story and now he comes back in chapter 3 and he says oh foolish galatians who has bewitched you it was before your eyes that jesus christ was publicly portrayed as crucified let me ask you only this Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? You see, Paul was there. Paul was there when many of them became Christians. He saw not only what happened at that that moment of their conversion, but he also spent time with them. And he had gone back to visit them. And so he saw the growth in their lives. He had been there. And this is what's so, like, puzzling to him. That's why he uses the word, bewitched you. It's like he's saying, this isn't you. It's like, you know, someone came in and, and took over your bodies and, 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 and they're doing something that's so not who you were last time I saw you. That's why he keeps calling them foolish. He, he knows they understood. When he talks about in verse One about Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified. He's not saying they were at the crucifixion. He's saying, you guys understood this. This was presented to you. Either Paul taught it, somebody taught it. There might have been other Christians there who were witnesses. They presented not just the crucifixion, but what the crucifixion accomplished. And they accepted it. He was there. He knew they understood. He talked with them. He heard what they said. He saw what they experienced. And now he's saying, are you so foolish? Are you so foolish to start and to experience the Holy Spirit and to see 
what's happened in your, in, in your life, are you so foolish just to walk away from it? You know, he, he doesn't actually use this type of argument, but eventually I think he could. He, he could have said, you know back then, you know when you experienced all that, when you had that sense of forgiveness from God, when you repented, when you felt the Holy Spirit's presence in your life, when you began to, to love each other and, and look at each other in ways that you'd never done before, when all that happened, did it happen because of an of a incantation? Did, did, did I teach you like some magic formula that if you say these words, this will happen? He could have said, did this happen because of a ritual? You know, did I tell you that, you know, if you stand on your left foot and pat yourself on the head with your right hand and rub your stomach with your left, that that would do it? Was it a ritual? Is, is, is that how you got the Holy Spirit? Did he say, you know, Paul could have asked, you know, did I tell you, like, here's the 12 steps to a healthier you. Follow these 12 steps, and by golly, you'll have the Holy Spirit. It says, which one of these things did I teach you? I didn't teach you any of them. I presented to you the gospel. And then I said, you only have to believe. It's puzzling to Paul. I mean, Paul's angry, but don't think of Paul as being angry like, I'm angry, I, you know, I'm angry, I hate you, kind of angry. He's angry, he's frustrated because because these were people that were, that were on the path. And he can't understand why they would so quickly abandon. Ultimately, what Paul is appealing to is this very true thing. A believer will know the Spirit's work in their lives. Paul knows this. Paul has seen it. If, if the Galatians, if some of the Galatian Christians had said, ah, Paul, we were just kind of going along with the crowd. You know, all our friends were doing it, so, you know, we did it. Paul would have been like, okay, well, let me share with you the gospel again. Let's, let's talk about this again. If they had said, like, well, you know, um, yeah, I mean, we believed it, but we didn't really think anything new happened to us. We are just, you know, we thought, like, Paul's got some really good ideas. I like his ideas. Let's, um, let's try to do some of them. If they'd have said that, Paul would have been like, okay. But the fact that he's asking them about the Spirit is because he believes that that will reconnect them to that experience that they had, and they will know that that experience was real. If it doesn't, if there was no experience before, nothing to connect to. 
they walk away. But he's, he's building off this principle that if we truly have faith in Jesus Christ, we will, in some way, experience the Spirit in our lives. Now, I know some people are like, oh, what is that way? Paul's going to keep unpacking this. He's going to keep unpacking this for the rest of the letter. We'll get there eventually, but, you know, you have to stay tuned for future sermons, and we'll, we'll get the details. But understand this. Paul is saying, you have faith in Jesus Christ. God doesn't keep your conversion secret from you. He doesn't say like, yep, that's one of mine, but I'm not telling him. I'm going to keep it a secret. No. He says, you'll know. You'll know. The Spirit will do things in your life, and you will know. See, we have to just you know, if you're somebody who's like, I can't wait, Pastor, you need to tell us. Well, you can read the rest of Galatians and, and read ahead, but don't do it now. But there are other people who, who will say, like, I, I, I don't know any work of the Spirit in my life. And there, there could be several reasons for that. One is maybe they didn't really have faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe. But sometimes I think we, I think we're too proud as Christians. I don't know if you've ever done this, um, you know. And some of you who are adult became Christians. You're adults. It's a different exercise than people like me that became a Christian when I was a child. But have you ever thought, like, what would my life be like right now without Christ? What, what, how, what kind of person would I be if Jesus Christ hasn't been in my life? I think sometimes we, we, we're kind of too proud. We think like, ah, I still would have been a great guy, even without Jesus. Jesus is just a bonus for everybody. You don't just get wonderful me. You get wonderful me and Jesus. Isn't that great? Blessing for you. And some people like get, get that idea. They, 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 they just think like, you know, I was going to be a good person anyways. I wasn't going to do all these other things. And they become very proud and they don't realize how much Christ has done in their lives. I think sometimes people are, they're the opposite. They're too humble. And by the way, this is, this is kind of okay because if you're becoming more like Christ, if you're you know, if the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and making us more like Christ, and, we're, and part of it is humility, one thing humility, true humility doesn't do is, is brag about how humble that it is. So sometimes we're too humble. We don't realize what God has done through us. Sometimes it takes somebody from the outside and we have examples of Paul doing this in some of his letters where he comes from the outside and he says, you know that Epaphroditus guy? 
You should welcome him. He's pretty awesome. And you got, it's kind of weird as Epaphroditus probably took the letter to, to be read at the church. And remember, they don't read silently. They read out loud. And Epaphroditus is right there. And Epaphroditus is probably thinking like, I didn't even know Paul noticed. I didn't even notice. I thought he's the great Christian. I'm just a guy. Sometimes we need others to come along and, and say like, wow, you know, back a few years ago, you were just a jerk. What happened? You're a much nicer jerk now. You know, what's changed in your life? Right? I remember how you only cared about yourself and your own stuff and your own career. And, and now you, all you want to do is think about how you can help people and serve them. What happened to you? Sometimes we need people to come in and, and say that. And, and that's part of, by the way, being a healthy church. A healthy church knows when to say those things and how to say those things. Unfortunately, if you take the definition of healthy church as a church that, that where people are always at peace and they're not fighting with each other, which means basically we keep each other at a safe distance, I, I don't, I'm not close enough to you to know what God is doing in your life. If I don't know your story, I don't know how far you've come. Now, I remember one of my friends in, in high school, he's older than me, and I knew his story. I knew how far he had come. I knew about his run-ins with the law. I knew how he was, you know, a very large, very strong, angry young man who was pretty much destined for, you know, an early death or perhaps prison. I knew that guy. And I knew whatever that guy had to overcome in some ways was far more than what I had to overcome. And if you had met this guy early in his Christian life, you wouldn't have thought much of him if you didn't know how far Jesus had brought him in such a short time. Sometimes we just don't notice. Sometimes we don't tell each other. A healthy church, we notice. We encourage one another. And sometimes we just, we don't know because, because the growth is so, so small and slow that we don't notice. It's like, you know, when back in the day, you know, when I was a child, you know, you'd have the relative who came and visited you every year or so, and they would always said the same thing, right? Oh, how much you've grown. Right? They always would say how much you've grown. And you're like, you don't think you've grown, right? Unless you were going through puberty and shot up, you know, six to eight inches in a summer. Most of the time you're like, I'm the same person. And then they would say it about your, you know, one of my brothers. And I'd be like, ah, oh, he looks like the same old 
guy I knew before. But they noticed the growth because they hadn't seen you in a year. You didn't notice the growth because you're there every day. Just because you might not be able to say right now, I don't know the Spirit's working in my life, doesn't mean the Spirit's not working in your life. You know, Paul is, he's kind of extra flustered by this. Because the Jewish Christians, see the Jewish Christians, the, the Hebraist Jews, the ones who followed the Jewish law and Jewish customs, they had come from living this, this, this Jewish life according to the law, and then they came to faith in Jesus Christ, and then they received the Spirit. Paul kind of sort of understood that, even though that was probably puzzling to him of why you would want to go back. But see, the Gentiles didn't start in the same place as the Jewish people. In fact, they started either with their own code of ethics, their own law, or no real code, no real law. And then they have faith in Jesus Christ. See, the, the Jewish Christians knew the futility of trying to be righteous by, by keeping the law. The Gentiles knew the futility of just living life without purpose. And through faith in Jesus Christ, they, they came together to have this common experience of the Holy Spirit. And Paul doesn't know why either one would want to return to the law. He does, it doesn't make any sense to him. Because if you've, if you've experienced the Holy Spirit in your life, why would you ever go back to the law? Paul continues, kind of split it halfway in verse 5 into verse 6, but, but he says, he's talking about the hearing with faith, and then he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I hope you got that there in the middle there. And it talks about the gospel. It says, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Abraham, this is the gospel. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Where is the gospel about how Jesus is going to keep me out of hell? Where is the gospel about Jesus is going to, you know, let me live in a mansion forever? Not saying those things aren't true, but I'm saying when Paul has a chance to summarize the gospel, the way it's presented to Abraham, he says this, in you shall all the nations be blessed. 
What is this telling us? Well, Abraham is this man, and he is a great man. But what's the most important thing about Abraham in terms of Paul talking about him is his faith. And he's saying, true faith in God, true faith in God, as Abraham has, is the only path to righteousness. Remember, there's no either or. There's no works. There's no faith. This going back to Abraham, it's, it's more than just an argument against the Judaizers. Okay, it certainly is an argument against them. But it's more than just that. This is helping us understand that justification by faith, righteousness that comes from faith, and here, faith in Jesus Christ, was always the plan. It wasn't God making it up as he goes. This was always the plan. The nations being blessed through Abraham was always the plan. It wasn't an add-on. It wasn't God taking advantage of a good opportunity or making the best of a bad opportunity. It's always been his plan. Always. Faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Justification that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Always a plan. The only path to righteousness. Again, questions come like, you know, what is faith? And faith takes a lot to unpack, and, and we're going to be talking about that more. But I want to just tell you just a simple definition of faith. And it's what we see in Abraham. And there's another person who, who this phrase is used uh, in regards to. It's another lesser-known person named Phineas. But in both situations, here's what we see. We see trust before the experience. Faith is the trust before the experience. Abraham is, God, God tells him, that's what I want you to do. This is what will happen if you do it. Abraham doesn't say, can you give me a little down payment there? Can, can I get that in writing? No. It's very simple. In Genesis 15, it's very simple. It just says, Abraham believed. And God credited to him as righteousness. He believed what God was telling him before he was going to experience it. This is what's so mind-boggling to Paul. What's so mind-boggling to Paul is unlike Abraham, who then had to then start doing the things God told him to do, what's mind-boggling to Paul is that, is that in Jesus Christ... We have faith before the experience, and then we have the experience. And he's like, didn't that confirm it for you, Galatians? You're not waiting for the experience. You've had the experience of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're not waiting. 
It's not just faith and unfulfilled promises in the future. You have the experience right now. And you still want to abandon faith. Doesn't make any sense to Paul. I think that's why God, in his word, with confidence can say, you know what? If you have truly become a Christian, you would, you'll never turn back. You'll never turn back. If you truly have the Holy Spirit in your life, you will never go in another direction. It doesn't mean you won't struggle. It doesn't mean you won't have doubts. But you won't do this. You won't abandon the very source, what started it all. See, Abraham shows what, what faith in God can do. Abraham shows what God will do with faith. Jesus shows far more. Verse 10 says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Now, those of you who came Wednesday night, you know, we, we looked at these four different quotations from the Old Testament, and we unpacked it. By the way, um, if you missed it, we do record it and um, can make it available to you. But uh, the other thing you can do is just join us on, on Wednesday nights um, as we take a closer look at this. Just as kind of an aside, it's one of the things that I think is great about this church and so many people that are hungering for, for God's Word and, and not just wanting more of God's Word, but wanting to go deeper into God's Word. And not just wanting to go deeper in terms of like contemplation and meditation, but wanting to go deeper in terms of details and information. In fact, um, I th- you know, somebody, um, I think it was Ricky, first suggested, you know, why don't we you know, why don't I teach some, you know, New Testament Greek uh, to whoever's interested, and, and so we made, you know, put out there who's interested, and, you know, there's, there's about six or seven people that are interested in now even learning more. I love that. Um, I, I, and I love that God is blessing us with more, you know, more pastors and more teachers who can do even more. That hungering for God's word is, is so important. So I invite you to come um, on, our, on our Monday and Wednesday and, and really our Sunday morning studies, any of our studies, I invite you to come be a part of. But if we get back to the text here, what the big point Paul's making in quoting all of these is kind of the opposite of what he's just said. True faith in God is the only path to righteousness. The works of the law do not and cannot 
lead to righteousness. Now here's a, again, if, if you've never heard this, you know, we talked about it on Wednesday night, so I'm not going to go through the argument again. But a lot of people will say like, oh, the works of the law don't lead to righteousness because it's impossible for us to keep the law. That's true. It is impossible for you to keep the law perfectly. And because you can't keep the law perfectly, that, um, you know, it's not going to lead to righteousness. But what this passage is actually saying is even more than that. It's saying that even if you could keep the law perfectly, it still wouldn't lead to righteousness. You see, the, the Bible, and Paul's going to talk about this later in Galatians, the law points to Jesus, but it doesn't lead to Jesus. It leads to good things. If you tried to keep the law, you would, you'd be a good person. You'd have good habits, good practices. But what it wouldn't do is it wouldn't establish what righteousness really is. What righteousness really is is connected very much to what the Bible talks about as eternal life. And eternal life is connected to who Jesus Christ is. Eternal life, righteousness, it's, it's about this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ that will be forever. If all I do is keep the law perfectly, I only have a relationship with the law. I kept the law, kept all your rules, but I don't have a relationship with the person. There's no righteousness. It's... It's one of those things where you, you, know, you, you, might, you might think, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I did it. Yay. I now can perfectly keep the law. And it's like, still not good enough. Even if we could. Even if we could keep the law. What eventually will happen is what happens for people who don't even keep all the law. They just keep some of it. It eventually leads to pride. It eventually leads to envy. It eventually leads to divisions and superiority, prejudices. What it doesn't lead to is agape. Keeping of the law does not lead to love. In fact, Jesus turned it all upside down, and really what he was doing was turning it right side up when he said, law, love first, then law. Law comes from love. If you go law first, you'll never get to love. Gospel of grace, gospel of law, they, they cannot live together. And so the final verse is this, so that in Christ Jesus, so he's talking about Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He's talking about what Christ redeemed, redeemed us from the curse. And he says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He's now connecting what he said earlier about the gospel being proclaimed to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And Paul's saying this is how because Abraham demonstrated faith 
the ones who are the true children of Abraham are those who are of faith. And those who are of faith, because of what Christ Jesus did, that we will receive the promised spirit through faith. And so he comes back full circle. The spirit comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If you have true faith, you have the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have true faith. The Spirit is both the, the objective of what we obtain when we become Christians. But the Spirit, He is also the evidence that we are Christians. And it, it's because of the Spirit that we can actually be able to live in the kingdom. Because if we're going to live in God's kingdom, we're going to be people who keep God's law. And what is God's law? What is the new law? Well, the way I summarize it is simply this, that we love everyone perfectly all the time. And I guarantee you this, if you were in a community, if you were in a group where everyone else loved everyone perfectly all the time and you didn't, you would run screaming from that group. Or you would try to disrupt it and cause problems in it. But you wouldn't be able to stay very long. We need the Spirit. Christianity is the only faith, the only philosophy that, you know, theology, belief system, whatever you want to call it, Christianity is the only one that admits up front that what is required is impossible. Only if we are made new can we do what God's standard is to love everyone perfectly all the time. It's the gospel of grace. I'm so glad it's a gospel of grace. It's not a gospel of works. Love is not something that I can just show if I don't have. But love is not something I can have if I don't have the Spirit. And I cannot have the Spirit without faith in Jesus Christ.